0: Um, This week we are in the last bit of the first half of the book of uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30 and chapter 31 go together. And uh, we're not going to take time this morning to read the entire two chapters. There's just way too much and not enough time. What I want to do is I want to just do a synopsis of the chapters, what the storyline is, and then just... Pick out a few things to look at And then I want to get on to the meal Because that's what's most important in my heart Is sharing this meal with you guys together So, let me give you the synopsis We talked about this last week The the kingdom of Assyria Is um, Become the world power The nation of Israel The northern kingdom Is the target about to be taken over. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, is aware, very aware of what's going on, and they're trying to rally, figuring out how they're going to stave off any assault from the king of Assyria. And so they have apparently turned to Egypt as a source of ally, a place, of, um, a place that has military might, The ability to to come alongside and help fight against this worldwide domination by the nation of Assyria. And at this point in Isaiah's prophecy, these two chapters, the prophet Isaiah is speaking very firm and harshly against the leaders of Judah. Because they are turning their back on God. And they're turning their way to Egypt. Now, there's a number of things that I would love to take apart and chew on. We just don't have time this morning. There's way, way too much in here. But let me share with you some of the things as I was studying that God brought before me. First of all, if you look in verse excuse me, verse eleven, twelve, and 15 of chapter 30. It says, this is uh, the prophet speaking, it says, leave this way, get off this path, stop confronting us with the Holy One of God. Now, what this is, what, the, what prophet Isaiah is saying is that the people of Judah are saying, get away from us, leave us alone, stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine any people who who say that they're followers of God, lovers of God, the chosen of God, literally telling God's prophet, would you just knock it off, leave us alone, stop beating down that stupid path, tell us about the Holy One of Israel. And then verse 12, I love it. He says, therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says to you. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression, depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It'll break into pieces like pottery, shattering so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found, for taking coals from a hearth or stooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. No, you said, no, we'll flee on horses. (laughs) Yeah, therefore you'll flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. And therefore your pursuers will be swift. Then he goes on. Verse 17. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five. You will all flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. And my thought was, you know... Thousands of years after this prophecy, the nation of Israel, who was still in rebellion against God, ended up on Masada, in a desperate situation where finally they were, quote-unquote, snuffed out as a nation. Verse 18 says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice And blessed are all who wait for him. Now, as I was studying this, this this phrase, the Holy One of Israel, kept jumping off the page at me. And I was like, well, what is that in Hebrew? And I'm not a scholar, so I can't say, well, I knew it. So I had to look it up. You can look it up in your strongs if you want to. Basically, it's two Hebrew words. Kadosh, which means holy or holy one. Yisra'el. Holy One of Israel. That's what it means in, in, in Hebrew. And in English it means the Holy One of Israel. Oh, that was good. That helped a lot. I love it when you go to a dictionary and they give you words that you have to look up. Or they use a synonym to describe the word you're looking up. And it's like, no, that didn't help me. I want to know what this means. The Holy One of Israel. What What is this? I mean, Jehovah Nisan. Banner, he's the one that brings victory. Jehovah Shammah, he's ever present with us. What is this Holy One in Israel? And as I meditated on it, the Lord brought me to that phrase in 1 Peter that you see up on the screen, be holy as your Heavenly Father is holy. Be perfect, some translations say, as he is perfect. And for those of you who can't see it, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And as I reflected on that, okay, so the Holy One of Israel has commanded that we be holy because He's holy. Not really helping still. Where did this understanding come from? Where did this idea of God's holiness come from? And how we're supposed to relate with Him in a holy way. And if you go right back to the beginning of the first interaction of God with the nation of Israel as a holy God, you find it in Exodus chapter 3. Moses has left Egypt because he was under the curse of being a murderer. He has gone out to Midian, which is in the Sinai Peninsula, and he's hurting for his father-in-law Jethro. And while he's herding these, these flocks of sheep, he sees a burning bush up on the hillside. And Moses, verse 3 of chapter 3 of Exodus says, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why this bush burns but doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God didn't introduce himself as the Holy One of Israel. God introduced himself as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of your fathers. He later on says, I am is my name. I am who was, who is, and who ever will be. God never introduces himself as, I'm the Holy One. <laughs> yeah, just call me Holy. So where did this idea of God being the Holy One come from? The Holy One of Israel. What I would submit to you is that God is called by the nation of Israel and by the nation of Judah the Holy One of Israel because they recognize that it is only because of their relationship with Him that they can be holy. So as a result, He is the root of all holiness. Therefore, He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the source of... Of holiness. He is the way that they can become holy. And pure and righteous. And so therefore they call him. Kadosh Yisrael. He is the holy one. Who makes me holy. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 15. Be holy because I am holy. That's the command of God. But as you saw me talk about with the kids. You can't. There's no way we can be Holy. Because to be holy means to be pure, perfect, unsullied. And no matter how hard we humans try, we cannot live to a standard of perfection, end of discussion, period. There's going to come some point, Romans 3.23, can somebody quote it? For For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What are you coming short of? You're coming short of that perfection, that holiness. The standard that is declared for all of us. Be holy because I am holy. I am, as you call me, the Holy One of Israel. So, that's my demand. Be holy. And, I'm probably getting ahead of myself because I wanted to say this at the end, but I feel like I need to say it now so the Lord can change around whatever He wants to change around. It's His business. It's His sermon. We are Nazarenes. We are part of what is called the Holiness Movement. We, as a matter of fact, are the leading denomination in the Holiness Movement. And what is the Holiness Movement? It is a movement that started around 1850-ish, where the Holy Spirit of God poured God's self out onto the whole world and said, hey... There's a standard that's been around for thousands of years and y'all have been ignoring it. And I am demanding it. And I expect it. And I want you to understand. This is not negotiable. Be holy. And we came to understand through the teaching of John Wesley and James Arminius that this holiness that comes from the demand that comes from God is made possible not because of anything that we do. Except for one thing. The one thing that we do that brings about this holiness is we stop trying. See, I've really been burdened over the last number of months. Because as we've gone through Isaiah, we've talked about doing and being and this. And I was like, God, I really feel strongly that I have not been emphasizing the the idea that we rely completely on you for our holy living. We have to trust you for for the ability to even live a holy life. I cannot in my own strength do anything that God would find pleasing. It is only through submitting my life to God through Jesus Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to literally inhabit me and to live through me. And the end result is... I can live a pleasing life before God and this world only as I allow the Holy Spirit of God to minister through me and to live through me. There's nothing else I can do. Now, having that understanding, these people in Isaiah's time knew that. And they also knew their history. Because the thing that really frustrated me as I was looking through this, if you, if you, again, if you have the time to just pick through chapter 30 and 31, one of the things that God is calling on them, calling them out for, is they're going to Egypt. Now think of the irony. The irony of where did they first come into contact with the Holy One of God as a nation? was when they were trapped in Egypt as slaves and God sent a rescuer, a Messiah, if you will, an anointed one in Moses, to be their rescuer, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And what's really crazy is if you were to take the time this morning and go to chapter 14 of Exodus, you would see... There's this crisis going on with the nation of Israel in their interaction with the nation of Egypt. Because they've left after the ten plagues. They've left Egypt. They're coming through the desert. Moses, under the power of the Holy Spirit of God and through the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, has brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And they turn around and look at Moses. And in so doing, they look behind him and see the Pharaoh and his army. It says 600 chariots plus the foot soldiers, all coming for them. And they go into a white-hot panic. Oh, God! What did you do to us, Moses? We were better off in Egypt. We should have just stayed there. Oh, my word! We're going to die out here! We're going to die! And have you ever just slapped somebody across the face because they're in such a panic? That's where they were. And what God does in his slap across their face to get them out of their panic... If you look at chapter 14, verse 14, it says, I'll fight for you. All you need to do is be still. When the worst has come against you, when your most horrible nightmare has reared up, And is pouring out venom and spewing flames and just seems like you're going to be completely taken over and engulfed. God says to you, be still and let me do the fighting for you. Now, this is part of Israel's history. They know that. If you go through the Psalms and through all of the, 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 the Old Testament, you see over and over and over again, where they literally, in the form of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a what's the word? I can't think of the word. Not litany. Anyway, as a form of, of some of their praise, they literally say, God rescued us from Egypt. God rescued us from Egypt. God rescued us from Egypt. If you look at Psalm 20, look at Psalm 20, verse 7. Incredible, incredible statement. This is uh, King David's psalm. Um, he wrote it. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. Accept in the time of King Hezekiah when the Assyrian army is coming after us and we're going to have to find some way to defend ourselves so uh, let's go to that place that has chariots and horses and make a deal with them to get them to come alongside us so that they can fight with us and for us because we can't defend ourselves but they got all that power and might so let's align ourselves with them And when the prophets keep saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, what is their response? Would you shut up and stop bringing up this Holy One of God thing? Can't you tell we're in a crisis here? Wow. People of God would actually do that? Don't bring up God in this situation. Don't say you'll pray for me. i got a problem going on here. I need some real help. Well, it's the best that I can do. I'll just pray for you. What? See, I said it. Have you said it? I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you, but I'll pray. Well, that should be a glorious statement. You know what? I got some other resources. But before we go anyplace else, let's put God first in this. Let's get on our knees before God and bring it to Him. And let Him be the one to tell us what the next step is. And if so, we got some resources over here. Maybe He'll bring those up and use those. But maybe He's got something totally different planned. We don't know. Let's give Him a chance. Don't bring in that Holy One of Israel thing. Come on. Let's get a strategic plan in place. We got a problem here. that's what I've been wrestling with as I was reading this that's why I broke down at the beginning of this service because one of the things that the nation of Israel had to do throughout all of their history you can read it, it's right here if you take the time is they had to be constantly reminded over and over and over in their liturgy in their words, in their prayers over and over and over again God rescues his beloved. God rescues his beloved. God rescues his beloved. All you need to do is be still. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is holy, he is righteous, he is awesome, he is majestic. In later on we're going to see in the book of Isaiah, he says, "Is my arm too short? Can I not bring about that which I have declared to have happened?" The obvious answer that doesn't need to go spoken is, of course not. But you see, the people of God being human beings, they get focused on what's going on right here and right now and get frustrated and upset and concerned and worried and the anxiety builds. And instead of falling on their face before the true source, they try to do for themselves. They try to come up with a plan. I said it a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. They pull out the plastic and rescue themselves temporarily. The Holy One of Israel demands 100% allegiance from His children. you got a problem Bring it to me. You have a worry? Bring it to me. You've got a concern? Bring it to me. You've got a need? Bring it to me. Do not, in your own strength, in your own strategy, in your own wisdom, in your own intelligence, try to fix it for yourself because you're going to mess it up. The whole standard of be perfect as I am perfect applies in a lot of ranges. And one of the things that God whispered to me, and I think it was also to whisper to you this morning, was maybe it's time to just spend some time reflecting. Maybe it's time to stop charging ahead and trying to do and trying to be the best that you can be and trying to Do all that you're supposed to do to be glorifying God and to living the life that you, And just setting that aside and take some time to recognize who He is. And what He has done for you in the past. Which will then gird up your confidence in Him. So this morning we're about to take communion. But it's going to be slightly different from what we normally do. We've been blessed. The the, the 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 burden on my heart was that I wanted communion to no longer be pop a cracker in your mouth, bite it once, swallow it, then it makes your mouth dry until you, so you take a shot of grape juice and then you're done. Then you go home. What my heart has been for a long time is for communion to be a meal. To be a chance for you to sit down and eat together and and drink together and and enjoy His presence together. And so I had been praying about it and and Elsie and I had been talking because she's been taking some responsibility for the... uh, for the church worship space over the last two years. And we had been talking about trying to find small glasses that were about an ounce in size so that you could get more than just a sip of grape juice, but that you could actually take a drink and let it sit in your mouth and just savor the flavors. Take a bite of the bread and a sip together. What a concept. And just enjoy. Now, I'm not talking about enjoying the bread and enjoying the drink. I'm talking about enjoying the presence of the Almighty, Holy One of Israel, who is here with us. Well, I said we were blessed because we've been talking about it. Elton actually started doing some uh, research, but Camp Maranatha had in their cabinet these beautiful one-ounce ceramic cups, sitting there not doing anything. And I asked them about it, and they said, we don't need them. We want them. How many do you need? I said, well, I don't want to be greedy. How many do you got? He said, 80-something. I said, I'll take them. No, I, I don't want to do that. I only need 40, 45, maybe, maybe give me 50, just in case God throws us. Okay. They threw them in the dishwasher, put them in a box, carried them home. I opened them up this morning in the kitchen and counted them out. We had 83. They gave them all to us because <coughs> God said you're going to need three in the near future. So this morning we're going to take communion. It's going to be a little bit awkward because I want us all to take this as a family. I want us to share this meal together. What that means is somebody's going to have to serve, and you're going to be holding these awkward cups that you can't just set to the side when you're done. You're all going to have to be responsible again to bring your empty glass back up here so it can be washed and store it for the next time, okay? Don't just set it on the ground. Don't set it on the pew. Don't take it home, okay? This is a blessing to us. But I want you to take some time this morning savoring the presence of our Father as you share this meal together. So, nobody has been selected. This is total volunteer. I need a couple people, not yet, but I need a couple people to come and get bread. I need uh, three people to come and get juice and to share it with your brothers and sisters and before we do that though let me bless this as the priest of this house on the night that Jesus was betrayed he pelt up a piece of bread to his fellows and he said guys every time you get together in the near future I want you to get some bread and I just want you to share it together knowing that it was a representation of my body which is about to be killed for you And I love you. And it literally said in in the scriptures, it says he took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And so God, we bless this bread now. We ask that you fill it with your presence. And then later on in the night, he took a cup of wine and he said, This cup represents my blood which is being shed for you. Every time you get together, I want you to do this in remembrance of my love for you. And he blessed the cup. So, Father, now in the name of Jesus, we bless this cup of juice, these cups of juice. We bless the bread. We ask you to fill it with your presence. And as we share it together, Father, we ask that you would bless us with your presence. This is your time, God. Do what you want. Take as long as you want. We're here for the duration. We give you honor. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm going to go sit down and have some bread and juice. And we need five volunteers.